Welcome to episode 116 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below, and I am very appreciative that you've chosen to spend this time with me. Whether this is your first or your 116th episode, I hope you hear something that will make you smile, spark an insight, improve your business, and maybe even change your life. Last week, I did an interview with David J.P. Fisher, host of the new podcast, Beer, Beats, and Business, which he describes as a podcast which provides listeners access to the thoughts and ideas of today's top movers and shakers. And I interviewed David on my podcast uh, sometime last year, I believe, and I will share a link to that in the episode show notes. When the tables were turned and he was interviewing me, he asked me a great question to start out with. He asked, have I become more or less introverted since the publication of my book? I really had to reflect on my experience of the past six months and how, if at all, I've shifted my relationship to my introversion. The short answer I gave him to the question of being more or less introverted was yes. (laughs) Both are true. I've become more introverted in some ways because there are more external demands on my energy, so I find myself being fiercely protective of my alone time. I find that the new layer of vulnerability is tiring, which causes me to at least want to retreat more, even if I can't. But I also have found myself less introverted only in the sense that my extrovert energy, that which I already had naturally in me, and I think of myself as maybe like 75% introvert, 25% extrovert. I have found that that extrovert energy that I had naturally is now more accessible to me. I trust it a bit more, and it's not as difficult to lean into it as it was before the book. And maybe it's because the book is my hook. Being out there and talking isn't about me. It's about the book and who it serves. You can hear more of my answer to David's great question when the podcast goes live next month, but I thought it was an interesting question worth sharing here, maybe even to consider it for yourself. Whatever life changes you've experienced, whatever accomplishments, job promotions, just any shifts that you've had, how have those changes influenced the degree to which you feel introverted? Have they led you to retreat inward or project outward more than you would have expected? It's worth thinking about so that your energetic self-awareness stays strong. During those sorts of self-check-ins, you are helping to increase your resilience in the long run, especially for changes. And you need resilience if you're going to be in business or be a leader, as well as if you're going to be successful in the topic of today's episode, pitching and selling. I know you're going to hear more than a few interesting and helpful insights from my guest today, Oren Clough. Oren is Director of Capital Markets at investment bank Intersection Capital, where he manages its capital raising platform, which includes retail and wholesale distribution, business and product development. Oren co-developed and oversees Intersection Capital's flagship product, Velocity. He's the author of the best-selling book, Pitch Anything, an innovative method for presenting, persuading, and winning the deal. You'll find information on how to connect with Oren in the episode show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Because there was so much for us to talk about and only 30 minutes to do it in, we didn't get to close with Oren's Introvert Island book selections. So I'll choose a few of my own favorite sales books in addition to Pitch Anything and share those in the resource section of the show notes. 
Hi, Oren. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm delighted to welcome you to the conversation. Uh, hey, Beth. I think it's good to be here, but I don't know. You podcasters uh, always have you know a trick or two up your sleeve that can make an interviewee miserable. Oh, oh. A good answer, <laughs> but let's let's see how happy we are in 20 minutes. Okay, good. Well, let's start out with how happy you are right now, because I'm curious about what's making you smile today. Uh, this is a great question. So. Um, if this was a few years ago, if this was 10 years ago, nothing makes me smile. <laughs> but mm-hmm. now I have a little baby Aww. and everything is in perspective. So for those of you who don't have babies, don't worry. You can still be the most likely person to not have a family or ever get married or an entrepreneur or focused on your career. But someday a baby will come along make you very happy. The, the difference is, right? It takes away your hobbies because now at six o'clock you don't go out drinking and riding motorcycles and mountain biking and going to bars and doing all kinds of stuff. You go home to see your baby, but they bring a smile to your face. Beautiful. How old is your baby? He's two and a half, and today oh. he learned to say something very important. I have no idea where he picked this up, but I heard him at least. So he's two and a half. Mm-hmm. At least thirty times this morning, he said, "Oh fuck," <laughs> with, with absolute. Perfect enunciation. <laughs> Who knows where he picked that? Who knows? I would, I would be, you know, remiss if I tried to guess. So, yeah, yeah good, good call. Okay, so. <laughs> So I like to start out by giving listeners a little bit of context, because most of my listeners are introverts, um, but we love and value perspectives from all ends of the spectrum. So where do you feel like you fall on that introvert-extrovert spectrum, and how has that awareness influenced your professional path? Yeah, so this is important. I mean, I was a computer geek. My dad was a college professor. We used some of the first computers in the world. They were teletypes. You had an acoustic coupler. And I was a computer geek. My dad was a statistician, sociologist, demographer, professor emeritus at University of Delaware. I grew up on college campuses with computers. I was not always this guy, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And so what I needed, uh, you know, if you think about the high school quarterback as the prototype, uh, outgoing, gregarious, backslapping, everybody Mm -hmm. likes, people want to do deals with, that was not me. And I needed a social blueprint to go out of sort of these introverted behaviors into extroverted behavior. I wanted things that worked mm-hmm. when you tried them once or twice because otherwise you go to a party or an event or a gathering where there's 500 people, 5,000 people, 50 people and leave there not having talked to anybody. That's me. It doesn't seem like it when you hear me and see me you know, at conferences today, but I needed a blueprint. That's what Pitch Anything is, is the blueprint for social engineering. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad we're talking then because I think people are going to find value in this because I agree. I think often, you know, if we just have that blueprint, that guideline, you know, something that gives us uh, something to hook into, we can do things that we didn't think that we could do, basically. Well, that's right. That's I just, you know, I give people just say this and people will get in your swim lane. You'll be amazed. Yes. And they say it and they come back and it worked perfectly. What should I say now? Now say this. And they go out and say that, and they go, that worked perfectly. People love me. They love my idea. They're into my deal. What should I say next? And that blueprint is laid out really page by page. It's just a Mad Lib, right? So that's what I wanted for myself (laughs) is not to have to think like about that person. I just wanted to think about filling out the Mad Lib Mm -hmm. of the social situation with things I could see and fill in easily. Uh, That's for what makes my life easy is having an engineered social environment because it's not intuitive to me exactly what should be happening, what should be said. I need pre-programmed frameworks that are going to work 
And if they don't work, at least I can observe them, you know, in the third person and say, how can I adjust next time? I get too codependent with somebody I've just met immediately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I get, uh, uh, I think, you know, many of us do, we get reliant on getting um, social feedback or validation. So when you eradicate neediness and you don't need validation from someone, then you start having fun. But in order to do that, you need a framework. Yes. And so I want to start out by talking a little bit about some of those frameworks. And and particularly, you know, when you talk about pitching, I know that it's more than just sales, but I want to start out maybe in that space. Because there are so many reasons that people, and especially introverts, feel challenged by the sales aspect of entrepreneurship. And one reason is because it can feel like a power imbalance, right? The person with the power, you know, is the person with the money. And we're stretching out our hand, hoping they buy. And we know intellectually that that's not really the case. But emotionally, we can kind of get stuck there in that scarcity mode. So what can we do to move through that and, and recalibrate? Sure. Uh, so there's a couple things. You know, I, I'm not a big motivation guy. I've spoken for Tony uh, Robbins. I've spoken alongside Dave Ramsey at huge conferences. You know, those guys are really focused on motivation. I don't have a lot of like internal motivations, but there is one thing that is internally, you know, so most of the things I do are external. You can be sad, you can be depressed, and you can say these things, and they still work to sell and make people like you. You know, we have people from different cultures, uh, China or India, they're hard to understand, you know, because English is new to them. They don't have our Americanistic, uh, uh, some of them, you know, they're engineers, and they have cultural uh, things to learn, and their language isn't good, but when they follow the framework, they do fine, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so the big thing to, is to get internal alignment is what I call prizing, is to understand in that moment, yes, that investor is the Lord over you. He has money he can give you, or that buyer can give you a contract, but, right? But mm -hmm. all they can give you is money, and money is a commodity, and that's available anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so you have to understand that money needs somewhere to go. It needs a company to invest in. It needs products to buy. It needs to go where to somewhere to solve problems. So money is a commodity and what you have is special, right? And, and even if your service or product is a little bit of a commodity, we have guys who sell aneurysm coil. It's very, very specialized. Mm. But even in that, they're a commodity. You know, other company, Medtronic and Stryker make those. And so even something that's so specialized and difficult to make and manufacture is a commodity. So even if you have something that's somewhat commoditized, it's available everywhere or in other places, you're special. What you bring to the relationship, your ethics, your personality, your charisma, your stick to itness, your understanding of the space, your willingness to solve the buyer's problems, that is unique and the buyer cannot get that as good as you have it in other places. And really the imbalance is opposite. The buyer is at a disadvantage if he doesn't convince you to sell your product. Now, that sounds crazy, right? Because you yeah. go in and you say, I'm trying to convince him, right, mm -hmm. to buy. How could I possibly get him to convince me to be allowed to buy my product? That's the, your job is to switch that frame. So the buyer is trying to convince you that he's worthy of your products and services. So the, the subject of that is a book long. It's pitch anything, but I can give you some starting points, which I think, you you know, how can we start to switch that? Well, right at the beginning of the meeting or a phone call, 
Instead of saying thank you so much, I really appreciate the opportunity to come here and present to you. We worked for a, a week solid to make this presentation. We think you're going to love it. And by the way, if you become our customer, we're going to bend over backwards. And we believe in our company. The customer is always right. And we'll do everything we can to make you happy. So that immediately communicates to the buyer that he's in control. He's the prize that you're trying to win. What if we change that around and said, wow, this time of year, we're extremely busy. Mm -hmm. We have, based on the conversation we've had, we've prepared a brief presentation that I think is specific to your needs. It's 10 a.m. Why don't we kick this off? The people who are just straggling in, they can play catch up. We have got only about 45 minutes, an hour here today. We've prepared a 20-minute presentation that, that we believe, based on all of our other customers, is in sync with your needs. We'll give that presentation at the end, and here's the cool part, we're going to give you a chance to reflect and tell us a little bit about your thoughts on you know, energy efficient HVAC units or cloud software or whatever it is. And if it seems like our circles overlap at that point, we can figure out what to do next. Sound good? Let's kick this thing off. Yeah. So that does a couple people say, well, I'm a woman. I couldn't say something so arrogant. It's not arrogant. I can mm -hmm. tell you investors and buyers want to hear that. That is very relaxing to them when I say that because they go, Boom, I'm in the hands of a professional. Mm -hmm. He's got an hour, that's about what I have. Right? right? He might even leave in 45 minutes. Great, I have other things to do. He knows the agenda, he's prepared a pitch that's 20 minutes long, we're not gonna have to sit here for an hour and then try and scramble to figure out what to do next. He's got an agenda for this meeting and I can relax, get pitched in 20 minutes by a professional with an agenda and a time frame. I know when I'm going to be able to get out of here. This is all good. I'm now in a professional environment. And the, the buyer's skepticism uh, goes down and he can relax knowing he's in the hands of you, a professional. And we, you know, we, we start out with that, you know, thank you, I appreciate this and all of that. And we think we're being respectful, but really it is somewhat groveling, <laughs> you know, honestly. But, but what you're describing is being respectful of their time and it's showing, and you as the buyer, I'm giving you an opportunity to respect me as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't want a girlfriend or a boyfriend that doesn't, or a husband or a wife or a relationship of somebody who is morose, sad, doesn't respect themselves. Right. You want somebody with a good self-image. I want to invest in a company and I want a buyer that has a great self-image and has confidence because, you know, we're going to do hard things together. Mm -hmm. right? And I want a strong person. I want a person who knows the value of time, and I want a person who knows the basic mechanics of business meetings. So what I see all the time is people walk in, and instead they go, they look around for some point of reference, something that's safe to talk about, a photo of somebody skiing. Oh, you like skiing? I love skiing, mm -hmm. right? Oh, uh, I see a, a, a diploma from uh, University of Illinois, right? My dad was a professor at University of Illinois. When were you there? Oh. Uh, maybe you were one of his students. Yeah, isn't the weather there cold? It only breaks in spring. You know, it's so close to Chicago. You like the, the, the White Sox? I love the White Sox or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And we do those things because we're seeking validation from the buyer mm -hmm. that he likes us. Yeah. We have to have confidence in our presentation. Nobody's going to buy from you. This might sound wrong, but in the world I'm in, somebody's not going to buy from you because they like you. Right? So, mm -hmm. right, how would that go? Hey guys, this is a $10 million computer system. It's not a great fit for us. 
you know, the price of the middle road, but I really like Beth, right? Mm-hmm. Let's throw $10 million. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> I understand, you know, people buy from you a refrigerator or something, and they can't not like you, but they don't buy because they like you. They buy because they understand what you have. They trust you, can validate the things you say, and can understand what you have pretty quickly. That's why people, and, and it's a good value proposition that you've clearly explained, and there's not red flags. That's why people buy, right? They don't buy because they like you. So to spend, let's say, uh, I know we're coming a lot quickly back, but you just suspend disbelief for a minute. The span of human attention in these kinds of meetings is 20 minutes. I, I do this professionally. I can't hold these folks. At 20 minutes, I have to start telling jokes and standing in my hand, <laughs> lighting my feet on fire, throwing firecrackers. 20 minutes is as long as somebody will listen to you. Yeah, they might sit in a room and you know nod, but in terms of really paying attention. So if somebody's going to pay attention to you from 10 a.m. to 10.20, why would you spend 10 or 12 minutes talking about universities, baseball, mm-hmm. skiing, and weather, right? Yeah. Be- yeah. Because you want them to pay attention to you and like you, but they already are paying attention to you because you exist, right? Mm-hmm. You're in a room and you're an animate object. Somebody's going to pay attention to you. Yes. And so you've already got their attention. Use the attention that you have with a presentation that is socially engineered to make people want what you have. And I think that ties into your first subject. I know you're not getting all your questions in. I'm sort of steamrolling you. <laughs> but um, let me, you know. Let, I think right? they're all going to bleed together. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah. So the job, when you convert from trying to sell somebody to attracting them to what you have, it feels a lot better. Selling is really the sales model that the the Wolf of Wall Street and Zig Ziglar and HP and corporations have used is introduce features and get somebody like you, introduce features, introduce benefits, trial close, and get to objections. Mm -hmm. Now you're selling because they're telling you why they don't want it, right? Right. The, the, The function of overcoming objections is what we don't like. It makes us feel cheesy, right? Yeah. Because I'll tell you why. Because we've been nice and we've been sweet and we've been culpable and codependent and we've been the easiest person in the world to get along with and we've been likable, right? Now they say, hey, look, uh, we've already placed an order for paper this year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't think we'd be able to even look at another order until October, so maybe you want to come back then. That's an objection. Right? And now we go, wait, wait, wait. You know, we can save you so much on paper that uh, you can throw out everything you have, use our good paper, and still make money. And then what? Now, you, now you're trying to overcome objections, and it, it's not nice. And, and the other thing is you're at the end of the meeting. So right. at the end of the meeting, you switch from being fairly angelic, never having given any intention, to this sort of wolf archetype. Right? Mm. Yeah, defensive. Maybe that would have been possible in minute 11. But in minute 55, they're like, I I need to go to my next meeting. I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of you. I'm tired of this meeting. I'm tired of this subject. I want to drink and to relax and not hear about this anymore. And you're trying to overcome objections. That's why traditional selling is not fun for us. So the job is to attract the buyer to what you have. And so in my experience, attraction starts with three things. The knowledge or the, the, the acceptance that people want what they can't have, people chase that which moves away from them, and people only value that which they pay for. So if we start to bake that into the presentation, 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, we, we become a totally different kind of person with a lot more self-respect, with a lot shorter agenda, with a lot more professionalism, and we become less afraid to lose the deal. We're not needy anymore, and the buyer is attracted to a person that is not needy, that is strong, professional, and where they have to earn the right to buy the product or service. You know, you say, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Where, you know, where do you have to earn the right to buy a product or service? Well, if you go snowboarding at Whistler, you can't just go up to Black Diamonds. You know, you, they check your equipment and that you mm -hmm. are familiar with avalanche training, right? So you have to earn the right to go in there. BMW, as I wrote about, has a car with a special paint job. You have to sign a contract that you'll take care of it in a certain way before you're allowed to buy the car. There's lots of firms that sell environmentally dangerous stuff and you have to prove that you have environmental programs and compliances that um, uh, before they'll give you that equipment to use. And in my own business, investment banking, where I help companies sell, companies check, do you have a, does your firm have a securities license? And, and so there's lots of businesses where the seller can make the buyer perform tasks or prove that uh, he's capable of buying. Mm -hmm. And that's what you want to create for your product and service. Yeah. Well, what do we know about, and I think you're hinting at this somewhat, but we haven't talked about it specifically about neuroscience and how that informs all of this that you're sharing, especially about the neediness versus the proving your value. So uh, I would draw attention to, and this is good, I haven't talked about this before publicly uh, or drawn attention to it. Most of us are familiar with clinical psychologists. They're the guys who write this stuff on the internet. You know, when you touch somebody in the shoulder and they blink twice, it means they like you. Um, when you can't multitask, there's no such thing as multitasking. Those are all clinical, sort of uh, a pragmatic psychologist. What I went to is cognitive psychologist. A cognitive psychologist doesn't care that much about the internal reasoning of what and the motivation of why people do it. They care about how the brain works mechanically and mm -hmm. physiologically. So when you talk to cognitive psychologists, and the first one that I talked to, they said, Orrin, you don't understand how the brain works. I go, ah, you know, I read all psychology. And, but, and they go, no, 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 you don't understand how information, the neuroscience of how information moves through the brain. Uh, and there's a great book on intelligence, which I recommend to everybody, and it goes into this. But, but basically, the words I'm saying, the problems I'm provoking you with, the tension we're creating here, the pentameter of my voice, all that is consumed and um, processed in the neocortex. But when you first meet me, when I first started talking, when you and I first got together, when I first saw and, uh, heard your voice, that information is not processed in the neocortex. It's processed very, very far away from it in the old brain. I call it the crocodile brain, right? Mm -hmm. And that brain is very, very simple. And it only thinks three things, as I wrote about, right? Hey, is this something I should eat? Is this something I should kill or is this something I should mate with? So you think you're saying, uh, hey, our HVAC systems are highly reliable. They're better than all the ones out there. They're more energy efficient. They save you money and they last longer. And the ROI over five years will actually save you money over using now. And the person hearing you starting to say that goes, hmm, is this something I should mate with? It truncates the information. So you have to get past the crocodile brain, which just thinks these three very simple things. And you have to do that by framing your messages in a way that the crocodile brain feels safe and relaxed. Because if you scare it, it doesn't pass information on 
to the neocortex. But in, in order for information to get into your mind, it goes through the crocodile brain. It's the first place where information is processed. And then, more importantly, it goes to the social part of the brain. And the social part of the brain goes, are you, Beth, a person of high status or low status that's talking to me? Because people of low status, I don't listen to because I can control them, you know, unless it's an emergency. Mm -hmm. right? I listen to people of high status because they control resources that I need. And so if you are not able to establish yourself as a person of high status, then the buyer is not listening to you. And no matter what ROI you promise, no matter what benefits you promise, no matter how much you lower the price, even below free, if they believe you're low enough status, they won't even take it for free. So the job is to get past the crocodile brain by making things a fast, novel, visual, and simple. That's the first part of your pitch. Mm -hmm. The second is to establish this is what we talked about in the beginning, that you're a person of high status. You're not begging for the meeting. You didn't spend two weeks. You didn't travel across the country, be willing to start it late, all these kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. So once you establish that you're a person of high status, then the neocortex is willing to listen to the words and ideas that you have. So I would just layer on this, since we're talking about uh, neuroscience, the neocortex does not like to work on problems. It doesn't like to think about things. That's why when you sit down to do math problems or study calculus or study for an exam, you know, in your industry, a uh, certification, it's hard, you get tired, you put it off. The neocortex does not wanna do work. So if you walk into a room and say, hey, it's Orrin and Beth, we want your brain to do a ton of work right now on some people <laughs> to solve problems. The neocortex goes, no thanks. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this. I want to think about vacation in Hawaii and uh, the phone number I just got from this beautiful woman or my, my baby is going to start pre- you know, I want to think about fun, cuddly, nice stuff. I don't want to think about your HVAC units. We have to earn our way in there right, by getting the crocodile brain relaxed and establishing ourselves as people of very high status putting a time constraint on it, then when we trigger acceptance from the neocortex, we have maybe 8, 10, 12 minutes to talk to that part of the brain that can actually accept the semantic problems that we're presenting it about our product and services. That's the neuroscience of selling uh, as simply as it can be broken down. Yeah. And I know, of course, you go into a lot more detail and pitch anything. And, um, and so folks can pick up that book and learn more. Um, can you give us a quick example? I'm like I'm thinking of the HVAC, you know, idea. What would be an example of a pitch that might appeal to that neocortex right away? If I'm going in with something like an HVAC pitch. So I have something for your listeners, right? And you can put it on your way. I think it would help a lot. Um, if you go to pitchanything.com/v6, v Victor six. What I have there is an example of a six-minute pitch, broken down really line by line, that for a mop. Mm -hmm. Right? Simplest thing in the world. Yeah. And so what you'll see on there, the first really uh, lesson, again, pitchanything.com slash V6, Victor6, is presenting a big idea that gets people into your mental swim lane. So if you're selling HVAC units, most people start saying, look, we have the best HVAC unit. It saves money. It's greener for the planet. Your children will thank you for putting it in and generations to come. And by the way, it cools with a gentle breeze that is delightful to the senses. That's mm -hmm. the way most people open up, right? Right. The, the, the change is that's too much. The neocortex is like, well, I don't want to think about HVACs. So what we do is we open up with an idea. And that idea is today the temperature on the planet is rising. For those of us 
who are upright and can fight to prevent future generations from having a planet that is uninhabitable, it is our job today to do something. Mm -hmm. okay. Now understand, those things are difficult to do, but where we can do something, we must. And I give you an example, right? right. Uh, so the airlines have become much more efficient, putting more people on the plane. Yes, it's inconvenient and we don't like it, but it's an efficiency that's going to delay the warming by 10 years. Gives a chance, right? Mm -hmm. The car manufacturers, it's difficult for them to introduce these new technologies because they're expensive, but they do it because the government says you have to and they want to. But for us as individuals, is it possible to do anything? We are not a government. We are not a car manufacturer. We don't own an airline. We're just people that live in a house. This presentation is about a way that you can do something that's good for yourself, do something that's right for your family and community, but also affect the outcome of future generations. And that involves your decision on HVAC, right? So, so that's how, by the way, I just made that up, you know, yeah. uh, um, <laughs> you know, speed basis. Uh, but that's how you bring somebody into your swim lane if you were selling HVAC, a big idea, because it relaxes. You see how it's not about me and the service? Right. It's about an idea. And so that's how you open TED. And people will listen to ideas. If you've ever listened to NPR, mm -hmm. that's how they open up all these news programs. Crickets chirping and alligators swimming. And you know, no matter what they're talking about, they open up with an idea and then they get into the details. That's your job to take advantage of the neuroscience of the brain, get people in your swim lane and start attracting them to what you have. Yep. And you started to say before you said NPR, it sounded like you were going to say TED Talks. And that comes to mind as another place there. The big idea is what kicks it off. Yeah. So, right. A TED Talk, they don't start going, hey, listen, um, the way that poetry can affect the neurology of an <laughs> anxious person is by decreasing blood flow to the third ventricle. Right. right. Presentation over. Thank you. Right. That was a 20-minute TED Talk. That was a... 10 second TED talk. Yeah. So, wow, I have many things happening at 1030. Okay. I see multiple in, have you ever played Missile Command? Yes. <laughs> Missile Command is a game that you have all these sort of things dropping on you and you try and explode them before they get to your base. Right. But if you get overwhelmed, there's a big red button you can only hit once in a while <laughs> and you hit it and it clears the screen. There you go. I might have to hit the big red button. Okay. Taking multiple scuds. So Beth, I think we hit a lot here yes. today. Yes. If you want to know how to build a pitch correctly, go to that link I suggested, pitchanything.com slash v6. I'd lay it out. I mean, it should be a course. We haven't decided where to put it yet. For the moment, your guys can have it while we're deciding what to price it at and where sure. to put it. Okay. Uh, awesome. Okay. So, yep. so I think those are the high points. If you get a mass revolt of people saying, we need to know more, then let's get back on. <laughs> we can do a part two. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that sounds great. I like you, Beth. You're a very, I talk to a lot of people. There's something about you that's calming and solid, and I can see why you're successful at this. You just, oh. you have something about you that's very nice. Well, um, thank you. You're sweet and solid at the same time, and that doesn't come across very often. Oh, thank you. You've made my day. <laughs> <laughs> You've made me smile today. So thank you, Oren. I look forward to reconnecting. Take care. Yeah. Bye. As an introvert who likes to plan and be prepared, I appreciate Oren's offering of a blueprint that I can follow. So often, it's the blank page that trips me up. And on that blank page, I start writing stories about how I'm supposed to be in a sales situation. Once I go down that rabbit hole of, 
I don't know where to begin. It's hard to get out. And I start wasting time on Facebook. (laughs) So having a framework and a starting point is always useful, especially to me and I'm guessing for a lot of you. I've learned it's like so many other things. We start out with structure and rules. And once we learn those rules, we learn how and when to break them. And that's how I invite you to approach the sales process. Learn the best practices. Reflect on what fits your customer and what might not as well as what feels authentic to you. Then be willing to break those rules or flex the blueprint until it fits you. If an expert like Oren has identified a tried and true method, there's no real reason to reinvent the wheel. But even the wheel is tweaked according to the context in which it's operating. Consider the blueprint and make it work for you. I had shared before about the virtual book groups that I was forming, and those have launched, and it's been both meaningful and fun so far. I expect to announce future dates for new groups in the near future. Another offering that I'm planning to launch in the next month or so is an introvert entrepreneur mastermind group. To find out what would best serve you, I've created a survey to gather your input. You'll find a link to the survey in the episode show notes, as well as on the Facebook page for The Introvert Entrepreneur. If you have any interest in being part of a small, consistent, supportive group of fellow entrepreneurs who are committed to one another's growth and success, then give me your feedback through that survey and stay tuned for more details. I'm closing the survey on Friday, May 13th, and I hope you'll set aside five minutes between now and then to share your thoughts. If you enjoy this podcast and find it valuable, I really hope that you'll consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and that you'll take a moment to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or on whichever platform you access it from. Your review will help someone else discover this podcast, so I am really grateful in advance for your consideration. I'm also grateful to my podcast producer, Paul Messing, and my assistant, Naja, for the episode show notes. And, of course, to you for spending this time with me. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. Thank you.